So it's good to see that none of you have walked in uh, with crutches this morning. I, there was, there was a, a video, I can't remember if it was two, three, four, it might have been ten years ago, I don't know. But there was, a, there was a dad sitting in a car waiting to pick up his daughter from school. And apparently he noticed a pattern that as kids were walking out, there was this one spot where they had to kind of walk down the sidewalk. And that patch of sidewalk was really icy. So he just sat there with his phone watching, and he would call it. He'd be like, oh, this one's going down. This one's going down. And then kid would slip, fall on their back, and you'd just hear this wheezy, this deep wheezy laugh, and the phone would start shaking. And I, he sat there for probably 10 minutes. I mean, kid after kid after kid. And then another kid would come to help the, help the one up, and they'd both be on the ground. And he's just sitting there. I, I'm, glad, I'm glad to know that nobody was beefing it out there because I thought about setting up a camera. Oh, my goodness. I, a crazy morning. Crazy. These are the kind of mornings that um, Kim, will, Kim will bring up a little bit of Green Lake Conference Center history. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you go back to the 1840s, and uh, there was a guy named Chris Briswold who built a cabin on 80 acres of the Green Lake property with no neighbor for miles and miles and miles. You know? And there he is out there, this pioneer, and uh, you know, the Civil War comes along, and he's got to go fight for the North in the Civil War. And so he leaves his wife and, I believe, four kids in a one-room cabin in the middle of Wisconsin, those winter mornings must have been horrid, having to go out and you know, get the firewood, all that sort of stuff. And here we are, we woke up to nice warm houses and, and everything is in great shape. And having said that, we still, on a morning <laughs> like this debate, should we go out? What do yeah. you think? So I, I commend you for your tremendous courage in getting <laughs> here today. Uh, well, well worth the trip, I promise you. And uh, you know, I, I really, I'm a believer in fighting through. I think that part of the reason we have so many, uh, so many cupcakes and snowflakes today is because we don't, we don't fight through anything anymore. So fighting through, getting here, the adventure of it. Good job. Congratulations. <laughs> it's awesome. We did in the first service weave some heresy. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you might as well get on it too so that you can vote me out. But we were talking about today is one of those days you get some extra heaven points for, uh, for having shown up. Yeah, and you can redeem those heaven points like you can redeem Scoopies at Culver's because apparently there's heavenly ice cream that costs those Scoopies. Well, so by showing up thing. today, you're Salvation well on your way to heavenly free, ice cream. But the ice cream costs you. <laughs> so, you know, if you want a Scoopy, you'll need those heaven points. Oh, you man. can redeem those someday. You'll show up. You'll say to Peter, Dennis said I got heaven points. He'll say, just get in the room and shut up. Just get in here. So anyway, fun, fun to be together. Um, I have a few things to share with you. I'm, I'm glad we've already had a couple people respond to this and still looking for more that might be interested uh, now, long, long before we had the shutdown and everything else, we used to have people that would stand up front and be willing to, to pray with you mm -hmm. after a service. Uh, maybe there's just something going on in life that you need some prayer in the moment or, or some, an issue is raised during the service through the message, through music, through just the Spirit of God talking to you, that praying with someone is helpful. So we'd love to have people stationed on either side in order to do that. If that's something you're interested in doing, you can just email us, office at southfieldchurch.com, dennis at southfieldchurch.com, and uh, we'd love to get you involved in that rotation of people that, that minister to other people through, through praying. So you got your um, Southfield update yesterday. You want to talk about the first one, about what's going on in January here? What is going on in January here? Oh, yeah. 
Uh, journey groups. Normally, we start our, our uh, winter journey groups right at the beginning of January and, and working on through, uh, through the beginning of March. This year, we're doing something a little different. We're going to start an all-church. Um, like Every journey group is going to be doing the same thing, same program, but we're not starting that until the first Sunday in February mm-hmm. because we are actually spending some time later today getting our, uh, our leaders all set for that so that we can all be on the same page and, and know what what the program looks like and how that's all going to work. So what we're encouraging journey groups to do is still get together, whether that means mm-hmm. going out for dinner or just hanging out for a game night or whatever. Um, we're encouraging those groups to, to keep going, to, mm-hmm. to hang on, but be prepared for a, a big shift coming mm-hmm. that, first, mm-hmm. that first week of, mm-hmm. of February. Really looking forward to it. It's going to be 10 weeks of learning together. Uh, it involves a, a workbook that we share. You're doing five days a week of, of just spending some time devotionally with God and then some writing, reflecting on, on what's been there, coming together in groups, talking about where God moved you. So it's going to be, it's going to be a great experience together. Another great experience, actually not at the end of the month, but the very beginning of next month, is our annual meeting. That's uh, an opportunity for everybody that's interested to come and learn more about especially what happened this past year, reflect on the past year, financially, program-wise, and everything else. So uh, that's going to be February 1st at 5.30 here in the gym. And you said uh, it's something you enjoy. I love love the business meetings. And I know that that's a a big shift from the way business meetings used to go. Mm -hmm. There used to be fights about the color of the carpet and all the things. And like, why would you ever want to go to something like that? But the way that we structure it is you get to learn about like you just said, the, the, how everything has been going throughout the year uh, financially, how the different programs have been working. But we also get to hear a lot of the stories. And we talk about a lot up front here, but we get to hear some behind-the-scenes things that, that don't come up uh, on a week-to-week basis at that meeting and, and kind of see how, how the family has been held together throughout the previous year. A lot of really cool stories. Uh, and so I would encourage you, if, if you have that time on Tuesday, February 1st, uh, block that off and, and come spend time with us. This email arrives every Saturday, and uh, a lot of you I know go ahead and check it. We can actually look and see like if it's been opened, all that sort of stuff, which is helpful to see that, I mean, for the most part, I would say about 60% of the people that receive this read it or at least open it every week, which is great. We keep it short, not a lot of stuff in it, mm-hmm. but one of the things you see there every week right at the top are some ways that you can engage, for example, with just what, what music are we singing today? You can hit the Spotify playlist or YouTube, and you can see the songs and, and use those as a time to prepare your heart for Sunday. We have the scripture reading there that you can either read or listen to, a link to that. And then you also have the link to notes, which is taking over into a version where they have an event, and you can follow along with the scripture in the, in the sermon and actually uh, write notes if you want in there. The one that we've added here recently is that we're, we're compiling a, a series playlist. So there are some songs that, that go along with the series we're in right now. It, it looks something like this. We're adding two more today. So uh, you can be listening to those and, and use music as a way that God uh, prepares your heart to, to, grow, to grow closer to mm-hmm. Him. So um, ready for anything. That's our sermon series. I wonder, are you ready for anything with students this, this month? <laughs> In the first service, he said, are you, are you ready for anything? Can you tell the people about what we're doing through July? Yeah, right. So, uh, no, I, <laughs> no I, I, I think I said in July. In but July. Anyway, yeah. Well, either way, yeah. I would, That's okay. I clearly was not ready yeah. for anything because I wasn't ready for that question. <laughs> but throughout January, we're actually going to be prepping the high schoolers to be a part of the um, rooted all-church 
a program. So we're going to be not doing the full 10 weeks that, that the adult journey groups will be mm-hmm. doing. Uh, we'll do a simplified version of it. But I think that's, that's going to lead to some really cool conversations between students and parents as you're working through the same material uh, at different levels. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, junior high is just going to keep on chugging. We're going to uh, roll through. And, and we've already talked with our team about uh, a special event that's going to be happening this spring. So we're going to start putting together plans for that. Really excited about it. Um, but yeah, so students are students. Well, we want to get into the next part of our teaching today. And, and we're going to be looking at the shepherds as well as the wise men. So I'm having you go ahead and read uh, the book of Matthew chapter 2, starting verse 1 to 12, so that we hear their story again. Said we did some heresy weaving in the first service. and I Ryan's, doubled down on that. Ryan's contribution yeah. was that he has renamed Herod Harold. So if he, if he refers to Harold, just know that he means Herod. He didn't bring his glasses. I'm bringing it nice and close. It's actually large print, but anyway, feel Shut free. Up. Go at it. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> after, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come now to worship him. When King Herod saw or heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, peop- the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their countries by another route. Thank you so much. Well, God in heaven, we're glad to be with you in your house with your people today. And we get this opportunity once again to to look at your word and to hear your instruction for us and then to make that choice. Is it going to simply be information that sits in the inbox of our brain so that we can look and be smarter or is it going to sink into our hearts so that we can experience transformation so that we can so that we can look more like your son that of course is that's the goal that's your destination for us that we are transformed every day to look more and more like your son so I pray that you would use your word today to do its transformative work on us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do something this morning that's kind of challenging and unique and fun. We're doing two sermons today. You're like, wait, what? Especially if you start timing it out and going, okay, he normally preaches about 30 minutes, so 30, 30, 60. I know we're doing music and communion. We're going to be a long morning together. No, I promise you, two sermons in the normal time. Here we go. So we've been talking about being ready for anything. We started this on Christmas Eve, where we looked at the different characters in the Christmas story, both individuals and groups. 
And the fact that they approached that night, that night, and it was, it was a unique night. There was nothing about it in any of their lives that was normal. And, and they didn't reject it. They didn't push it away. They didn't go, this isn't normal. I want nothing to do with it. They didn't say, this isn't normal. Lay down, go fetal, hide, whatever. They, just the opposite. This wasn't normal, and they completely embraced it. They ran toward it. We want to have that kind of a heart that we're ready for anything God brings our way. Not just the normal and ordinary moments, but quite literally anything. And so today we get the chance to look at a group of people who were gathered out on the hillside. We, we know them as the shepherds. Shepherding is uh, it's, it's a featured part of the Word of God, going all the way back to quite literally one of the very first careers. It was Abel, of course, who raised sheep and brought one of his sheep in order to be sacrificed to God in one of the first sacrifices offered to him. We have a shepherd very early on. We have a king, one of the most prominent kings of Israel, David, who started his career not as a prince, but as a shepherd, a person who took care of sheep. We see, of course, Psalm 23, the reference to God the Father as a shepherd who cares for his sheep, even when they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Ezekiel chapter 34 refers to the religious leaders of Israel as, as horrible shepherds. They were shepherds who were taking advantage of the sheep of the flock of God. You go over to the New Testament, John chapter 15, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And what's the qualification of a good shepherd? He was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He was actually willing to sacrifice himself for the shape, for the sake of the sheep that he was caring for. Shepherding is a noble, noble thing to do in the Word of God. Having said that, it's not a job of great prominence. It didn't require, you know, educational training. It required a discipline to show up and to do your job, to pay attention to danger, and to be willing to run at the danger when it comes. There's this particular night that these shepherds are, are in the field, they're guarding their flock, and it says, suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, the shepherds being terrified is actually a little bit of a surprise, because these are, these are gutsy people. They're, they're not wilting flowers. You think about David, when he comes and presents his qualifications for why he should take on the giant Goliath, what does he say? I killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands. This is not a guy that ran away and said, hey, have a sheep, I'm out of here. He ran and protected the sheep. He was, he, was, he was brave in that. Shepherds are brave. They don't run away from the danger. But in this particular night, something happens that they're not used to. They're, they're watching for a predator, and instead, the night sky lights up, and there's an angelic being in front of them speaking. This didn't happen every night. This was, this was an unusual occurrence, and they were scared. And the Bible says that the angel immediately says, you don't have to be terrified. I'm bringing you the best news of your life. This night, a Savior is born in, in Israel. He's born in Bethlehem. And you're going to be able to identify that baby. You can, you can go to a barn, and in that barn, you're going to find a manger. And in that manger, you're going to find a child with his father and mother. He's going to be wrapped in, in loose-fitting cloths. You have the opportunity to be a part of God's story. An invitation is extended to them. And, and it's not done then, because then, with that angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts appear. They praise God. They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, on whom all God's favor rests. And then, just like that, the angels disappear. 
don't know if you've ever been out in the dark where it's really, really, really dark. Maybe you were just sitting by a fire and that's it. If you have a tendency to stare into light, to stare into it, and you're out in the dark, and then the light goes away, you're blinded for a moment. You can imagine that these guys, they've been staring at the brightness of the angels in the sky, and boom, it goes pitch black. It, for a moment, they're blinded. And then their eyes start to adjust, starts to adjust to the fire in front of them, starts to adjust to the people around them. And what I find incredible about the story, it doesn't say they stopped and discussed what just happened. It doesn't say they stopped and said, did you see that? What, was that just me? Did we eat bad fish tonight? What, what happened here? That's not what, what, what does the word of God say? They turn and say to each other, let's go. Let's go right now. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. And, and it says, they hurried to the village. One, one version says, they made haste. They hurried to the village. They found Mary. They found Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after they see this, and they're blown away by this, they go and they tell everybody they see what has happened. They can't help it. I mean, it probably came to the point with some people, they were like, you know, did I tell you about the night Jesus was born? Yeah, you've told me. I get it. But, but the Bible says they were astonished. They were amazed at what was told them. These shepherds return to their flock. They're glorifying and praising God for all they've seen, for all they've heard, just as the angel told them. How are, the, how are the shepherds prepared for absolutely anything? These are guys in life who had learned to obey and to obey quickly. There was no hesitation. If they hesitated when taking care of the sheep, if there was something they were supposed to do and they hesitated, let's say, let's say they hesitated feeding the sheep. I will feed them next week. Let's say they hesitated taking care of them and protecting them. Let's say they hesitated on a disease that the sheep had. They could lose. They could lose what they had. They were quick to respond to what was in front of them. What we have are men who are men of hasty obedience. They obeyed quickly. The word of God came to them. They didn't even wait a night. If they'd have waited a night, they'd missed it all. They, they, they would have walked into a barn and they might have found a swaddling cloth, but they wouldn't have found a baby lying in a manger. They would have missed it completely. They were hasty in their response. They were hasty in their obedience. I think for a lot of us, we're obedient, but we're obedient in time. We're obedient when we're ready to be obedient. We're obedient. We, we put kind of a timetable on it. Here are the conditions that have to change. This is what needs to fall into place in order for me to do what God's calling me to do instead of being quick to respond to the voice of God. If I read something in the Word of God and it says, do this or don't do that, if I'm acting like the shepherds, if I'm ready for anything, I respond immediately. I respond with haste. Is there an area in your life that you've been delaying obedience? It's not that you've said, I won't obey. You said, I'm just not going to do it now, which in a sense is saying what? I won't obey. Like the shepherds, we need to be quick to respond to the voice of God. We read God's word, it tells us what to do. We're going to say, well, I don't know about that, or I'll have to think about that. We jump on it and we go. How do we grow this kind of hasty obedience in our hearts? Just like the other characters we've looked at, we're, we're looking at four things each week to look at the way this grows within us. And the first is a spiritual discipline. I think if we're going to grow hearts that are quick to obey God, 
we need the spiritual practice of daily Scripture intake. Not, not occasionally Scripture intake. I'm talking literally daily. Daily we're taking in at least a piece of the Word of God. For a lot of us, this is our Scripture intake. We come to church, we hear some Scripture read, and we're good to go for the week. What if I told you today, your, your, your lunch meal today is the last time you will eat until next Sunday? You'd, you'd be horrified. You'd be terrified. You'd wonder how in the world you're going to survive. You'd, you'd, be, you'd be packing little things under the car seat. You'd be doing whatever you could to make sure you had something. But somehow, spiritually, we're content with, ah, I ate a little bit on Sunday. I'll eat again next week. There's got to be a constant intake of the Word of God. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be chapter after chapter after chapter. I'll tell you what, if you do nothing right now, would you at least begin by getting on one of the Bible apps, you know, Bible.com, whatever it is, and just get a verse a day. Get a verse a day. It can literally be delivered to your inbox or, or pushed to your text and read it. And if it's calling on you to, to, to action, act on it immediately. No delay, because this isn't just about knowing what the Bible has to say. It's not just about knowing what God wants. It's about doing it, acting on it immediately. We need the discipline of daily Scripture intake. In terms of a passage, I commend to you James 1, 21 to 22. He starts by saying, get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. It's time for a spring cleaning. I'm getting rid of the sin. And humbly accept the word of God planted in your hearts. I love that stance, a stance of humility, recognizing the word of God. I need to be listening to what God has to say. It has the power to save your souls. Then he goes on to say, don't just listen to the word. Don't just, don't just collect spiritual information. You must do what it says. Hasty obedience. Otherwise, you're just kidding yourself. You're pretending you got a relationship with God going, but if you're not, if this isn't transforming you, it's not enough. It's just not enough. How about the area of discernment? What's the discernment for us? When it comes to obedience, I think there are two forms of obedience. One is obeying the commands of God. Do not steal. Okay, I won't. Do not lie. Okay, I won't. Do not commit adultery. Okay, I won't. We obey the commands of the Word of God. But there's another area of obedience we might call the, the calling on our life. So we have the commands of God, and then we have the calling of God. In my life, I have the calling of being a pastor. I have the calling of being a father. I have the calling of being a husband. I have the calling of being a neighbor. I have a number of callings in my life. And along with those callings come some, come some passions and some, some things within me that, that God, has, God has placed within me that are important for me to fulfill. These are things that matter to me because God has placed it there. We all need to obey the commands of God. But we all have a different calling from God. And we need to follow our calling, and we need to not try to push our calling onto someone else. God has called you with certain passions and desires and gifts that are different than mine. And what we do is encourage that person to grow in their calling, even though their calling and my calling are quite different. So, in reality, your call is not my call, and my call is not your call. We obey an individual calling, and having said that, we all obey the universal commands of God. In terms of a song, I didn't want to just pick a song that, that is, you know, obey, 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 you must obey. But what, 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 what will grow obedience in our heart? I, I love this song by Stephanie Gretzinger. It's called You Know Me. 
It's an intensely intimate song. A song of intimacy between, between God, and a, a God and a person. You have been and you will be. You have seen and you will see. You know when I rise, when I fall. When I come, when I go, you see it all. You sung the stars. You move the sea and still you know me. You have that opportunity to see the stars in the sky and go, and God, for some reason, you still care about me. You still pay attention to me. Nothing is hidden from your sight. Wherever I go, you find me. And you know every detail of my life, and you are God, and you don't miss a thing. He knows he's watching. He knows how you're wired. He knows what's important to you. You know what's beautiful about obeying God? God didn't come up with a list of rules because he was just in a bad mood and wanted to mess people's lives. He knows how life works best. He knows the good life. And beyond just knowing the good life because he designed us, he gave us the instruction book to know how to live the good life. And when we obey this immediately, guess what? It is to our benefit when we obey with haste. God knows us. Her last line of that song, you memorize me. The idea that God knows me that well empowers me to respond to him quickly, to respond to him with haste. So, these are the ways that we grow in hasty obedience, a way that we're ready for anything. Father God, I pray that you will help each of us to embrace hasty obedience, to not wait, to not be slow. If we see a command from you, we jump on it. If part of our call is to be lived out, we live it out immediately. We don't wait. Ready, truly ready for anything you bring our way. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do now in between sermons is a little palate cleanser. Here's your, here's your sherbet or something to kind of get that one behind and get ready for the next meal. And our palate cleanser is going to begin with our team coming and leading us in a new song, Battle Belongs, great song. I think when we hear this song, we think about, you know, fighting the enemy and going out and doing great things for God. And yet very often the enemy we're fighting is the one right within us. We're fighting against our own temptations. We're fighting against our own sins, our own doubts. So how do we fight that fight? We fight it on our knees. Let's stand up and get ready to sing about fighting the battle. It is, it is a battle. It's a battle against ourselves. It's a battle against our desires. It's a battle against the enemy to hear what God has to say and to say, yes, I've got to fight so much in order to say yes. And yet hasty obedience is what places is exactly where we need to be if we're going to be ready for absolutely anything. I'd like you to have a moment to be able to reflect on that through communion. So we're going to go to the tables at the front or the back. We have gluten-free on the sides of the platform as well as at the back. And, and during communion, I, I want you to have fixed in your mind an area that you've been delaying obedience. A place that you've been saying, God, not yet. And would you, as you approach the bread and cup today and thinking about Jesus' presence in your life, would you say, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready to say yes, God. I'm ready to do this now. Let's go to communion.
I've been trying to think of an example of this, but I only have 12 minutes, so I'm just going to cut to it. Um, have you ever had a, a picture, maybe it was a photograph or an image that was hanging on your wall, and, and in it you saw some tremendous beauty, and then someone came along and pointed out some reality in the image, whether it was the, the painting itself or even the moment. You thought it was a phenomenal family moment only to find out, oh my word, disaster was going on all around. I had no idea. I just thought we were celebrating Christmas. There's something out of the, about the picture that just gets totally distorted. Well, I want to ruin an image for you this morning. For a lot of you at your house, you have this nativity set. It might have been handed down from generation to generation. My dad actually built ours. And in that nativity set, you have Mary and Joseph. You have the baby. In our particular case, the baby was removable so that you could put the baby in on, on Christmas Day. And you had angels. You had glory up above hanging there, joy to the world, all that sort of stuff. And then you had shepherds and sheep and a little sheepdog. And then, and then there were these three guys, the wise men. And there are two camels. One camel stands, one camel sits. And you have three guys. One of, them, one of them's clearly Caucasian, one of them's African, and one of them's Asian, because kind of a united nations of, of, uh, of wise men. And they're, and they're all together there in order to worship baby Jesus. Amazing. And the bummer is that they were nowhere close to the nativity on that particular night. They're back in Babylon. They're over in Persia. They're nowhere close right now. We don't know their names, Melchior, Belteshev. We, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say their names. Great names. I wish it would have been like Harold, something I could remember, and Joe, but, you know, no names given. In fact, let me really mess with you. It doesn't even say there were three wise men. It says there were three gifts. I'm not saying there weren't three, but it says there were three gifts that were given. It doesn't necessarily say that there were just three people. So on top of that, we don't know much about the background of these guys. If they're from Babylon, if they're from Persia, it is quite likely that they're part of the religious system of that time that was involved in, in not only astronomy, but astrology. That they're trying to determine from looking at the stars what's going on in life. And, and they may very well have had nothing to do with God at all in terms of trying to understand. When we look over at the Old Testament, when Nebuchadnezzar receives his dream and he's trying to get information about the dream, who does he call in? He calls in his magicians. He calls in his astrologers in order to interpret the dream. And it's only Daniel, ultimately, through the help of God, that's able to interpret the dream. Now, having said all that, it is possible as well that these are men who had been impacted by the exiles from Israel, that these are men who had learned about Jehovah, that these are men who actually had some understanding of, of who God was, and that was a piece of what put us on their search. These are all the things we don't know. What we know is that three men show up in Herod's palace and say, we are here to see the king. Show us his room. And, and they come because they had spotted something unusual in the sky. They were used to looking at the sky. They were used to trying to understand the stars, the constellations, the patterns, everything that was taking place. And on one particular night, they all come out, they look up in the sky, and they say, what's that? That's not been there before. That's something new. That's different. And they don't simply take it in as information. They don't simply, you know, chart it. The night we saw the big bright ball over there, boom. They don't just chart it. They've got to do something about it. 
They've got to act on it. They've got to, they've got to go. They know that that star, there's a message there. There's something there that they need to understand. And so they start to pursue the location of the star. They come to Herod. It makes sense. If it's a king that's born, of course the king is born in Jerusalem. And they come and Herod doesn't have a clue. Herod does ask not his astrologers, not his magicians. He asks priests and teachers. So if a king is born, where will he be born? And what's amazing is the Bible told us with clarity, he'll be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Exact location given of where Christ would be born. Herod has a private meeting with these men, tries to get an idea of when the star first appeared. Because later on, when, when, the, when the kings escape... Uh, when, they, when they avoid going back to Herod, uh, he kills all the male children two and under in Bethlehem. We have some reason to believe that it was probably upwards of two years before that the star had appeared in the sky. So he claims he wants to worship them. We know he doesn't want to worship them. He wants to kill Jesus. They go on their way, come to the star. The star is over a house. They walk into the house. There's Mary. There's the baby, and they give their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when they're about to leave, God speaks to them. This time it's not just a star. This time it is God himself. And God warns them in a dream not to return to Herod because he has ill intent toward the child. Instead, head your way back home. Here's what I love about, about these men who came on this very long journey. They had wide-eyed curiosity. They wondered. They just wondered. They, asked, they saw something unusual and they couldn't ignore it. They had to figure out, what is that all about? Are you a person who wonders? Are you a person with any curiosity at all? Do you, do you just, if things are different, do you notice it? Or do you just kind of walk on through and oblivious to whatever's going on? Curiosity. Curiosity, wondering, I think is a beautiful spiritual quality. If we believe that God is active in everything that's going on in life, should we not be walking through life eyes wide open, wondering what God is up to today? You know, we're in the middle of this, this mess, this total mess of this disease that's been running throughout the world, seemed like it was quieting down, and now it's flamed up once again. And we've been walking through this mess and a lot of us, we've been trying to understand it. And we try to understand it by watching our favorite news station, by <coughs> listening to our favorite political voice, by doing all these things along the way. Here's a question I have for you two years into this. Have you once asked, God, what are you up to in this? God, what are you up to in this? Honestly, who cares? It was invented in a, in a lab in Wuhan or a bad ate a purple grape or whatever. Who cares? God what are you up to in this? What are you doing in this? What do you have to say through all of this? That's the way we should be living life. When something unusual appears in the sky of our life, we ask ourselves, God, what are you up to? What's your calling on me? What's your desire? I love curiosity in people. When I get the chance to hire somebody, one of the things I'm looking for, are they at all curious? Do they even bother asking a question? When I was hired 25 years ago, I, I went back and looked at old business meeting minutes. I know, sounds incredibly boring. Some are written in Swedish. I couldn't even read them, but they look cool. But I wanted, I wanted to know what happened before I showed up. 
I remember one in particular I looked at. It was, it was, it was a meeting held in 1987 with a, with a person from the outside that came in to kind of assess what was going on in the church. And the conclusion was there was a lack of a spiritual dynamic present in the church. Wish I'd have seen that before I got hired, right? You're at a church and there's a lack of a spiritual dynamic. That curiosity led to, we've got to do some things to return our hearts back to God and not simply be a religion franchise. Eyes wide open, curious, asking questions. How do we grow that in ourselves? How do we grow that wide-eyed wonder, just like the wise men? Well, first of all, we need to take on the spiritual practice of crafting great questions. It's time to start asking some great questions. Not just the surface stuff, not just the easy stuff. I love when I'm in a conversation. I ask a person a question, like, wow, that was a great question. And it's not just a start stalling tactic, but they're realizing they were just asked a question that's beyond the surface. It's making them think. It's making them dig. Do you ask great questions? Do you, do you spend any time crafting questions and wondering. When you're approaching the Word of God, when you're, when you're on that daily read, whether it's a verse or a paragraph or a chapter, whatever it is, one of the best things we can do when we approach the Word of God is, is just hammer it with questions. Question after question after question. Wondering what God is saying. God is not afraid of our questions. He's not terrified that you're going to ask the question that's going to finally reveal that he's behind the curtain and, and, and there's nothing there. Nothing scares God. Our questions, our curiosity, are what get us to greater places of growth. Ask great questions. Craft great questions. In terms of a passage, uh, I'd go to Psalm 8. It's a, it's a short psalm, nine verses. It's got a bookend start and finish. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <laughs> you are majestic. Your name fills the earth. But it's verses 3 and 4. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers the moon and the star that you've set in place. When I, just, when I get a chance to look at the vastness, I have to wonder, why in the world do you notice me? Why in the world do you care about me? you got so much going on, just managing the stars, let alone the waves and all the sand and, and everything else that's going on in the universe, and somehow still you're aware of me. That's what the psalmist is saying. He says, with, when I look at all this vastness, what's a human that you, even, that you even notice? Who am I that you even care? That sense of wonder, one of the reasons we had the, during communion, the, the images on the screen, just majestic images that, that fill our hearts with something bigger than us so we can come back and ask the question, how do we fit into this? How do we fit into everything that God is doing in terms of discernment, the discernment issue, um, most of us ask questions for one reason. We want an answer. <laughs> you ask a question hoping you'll get an answer to the question. And here's what I'm finding in life. I have a lot of questions and I don't have an answer to the question. And truth be told, I don't think I'm going to have an answer until about three minutes after I'm worm food. I don't think I'm going to know until heaven. So why bother asking the question? Because asking the question is not about knowing the answer. Asking the question is about knowing God. 
Asking the question is about entering more deeply into my relationship with God. Answering the question is about being able to trust. Even though I don't know the answer, I know you do, and I trust you. You see, our discernment is really this. Am I searching for more answers, or am I searching for more of God? Do I, do, I wonder, do I wonder what that star is because I wonder where it's going to take me? Or do I wonder what that star is because I wonder what God's going to teach me? And so I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow with wide-eyed curiosity because I wonder about God, because I want to know more of God. It reminds me of Moses standing on, my, on Mount Nebo, end of his life. God shows him all the promised land, and, and he says, and you don't get to go in because of your sin in the wilderness. And I'm convinced after all this time that that is not a letdown for Moses, that Moses is able to say in his heart, who needs a promised land when I have you? You are my promised land. You are. We come to a place of contentment that we're satisfied with more of God rather than more answers. In terms of the song, I take you to the song by Amanda Cook called Wonder. I think we've sung it here a few times in the past. I was introduced to it for the first time by my daughter at Green Lake, laying on my back in the middle of that vast 70-acre prairie. And we were staring up at the sky, and I, I still don't understand the dynamic, but, but Wisconsin has a lot more stars than we do. You know, they bought more than we do. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Might have something to do with light. Anyway, looking up at the sky, and there, there are millions and millions and billions and trillions and zillions of stars up there. They're just stars everywhere. And she clicks her song, phone, and she starts saying, playing the music, may we never lose our wonder. May we never lose our wonder, wide-eyed and mystified. May we be just like a child, staring at the beauty of our King. May we never lose our wonder, because you are beautiful in all your ways. May we never lose our wonder. Play that again and again and let curiosity grow in your heart. Slowly we're building this playlist. We've got, we've got five songs now, two attributed to Joseph, the second and the third, but all of them just starting to grow these character qualities within us. And next week we'll come to two of my favorite people in the Christmas story, Simeon and Anna, as we talk about what hope-filled expectation looks like. Father God in heaven, Let us not be content to walk through life with our eyes shut, not noticing. Help us to see the thing that is different, the star in the sky that wasn't there before, the pandemic in the world that wasn't there two years ago. Help us to look at these things, to look at the things that are different and ask the question, God, what are you up to? And how do you want me to be involved in it? Give us a sense of wide-eyed curiosity. Wide-eyed curiosity, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we're going to sing again. One of the songs we're going to sing is on our playlist, Make Room. I'm going to make room for you to do whatever you want to. I'm going to, I'm going to live life with that openness, that unreserved openness, ready, God, for anything, absolutely anything you desire. God wants us to be ready for absolutely anything. I know normal feels good. I know predictable feels comfortable. But that is not God's goal for your life. That's not God's goal for us as a church. God wants us to find those unusual moments and say, you're up to something. And we want to be a part of that. Let's stand together and sing.
You might be one of those people that says, oh, I've never had a miracle in my life. I don't know what a miracle it is. I've never seen a miracle. You just sat through a church service where the pastor did two sermons. We did three songs. We did communion and 10 minutes of announcements, and we're leaving on time. You can finally officially have your first miracle. Congratulations. Awesome. So as you're walking through this week, this is my prayer for you. That is, you are engaged in hasty obedience, and as you're living life with wide-eyed curiosity, as you're, as you're walking through this week, God will strike you with something that is just, I can't think of a better word than it's awesome, truly inspires awe. And you will look at it, and you will drink it in. And then in that moment, like Psalm 8, you will be able to say, why? Out of all this world, you have chosen me. Grace so free. Out of all this world, you've chosen me and thank him for it. As you leave, walk slowly, carefully, and gingerly. Your bones might break. We'll see you.